So I see we're a little bit sparse this morning. Summertime has kicked in in full force. And I know there are many activities that sometimes take us away from the church. But this is Pentecost Sunday. And if you remember from last week, we discussed the ascension of Jesus in the first chapter of Acts. We talked about how Jesus had told the disciples to remain in Jerusalem so that they would receive the promise from the Father that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about on the Mount of Olives as the disciples stood gazing up into the sky after Jesus had disappeared into the clouds and two angels appeared to them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taking, taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they returned to Jerusalem and back to the upper room where they had been staying. And they remained there waiting for the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had spoken of. They waited for the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I ask you, have you ever been promised something and then had to wait for it to come? What do we do when we're waiting for something to come to us that has been promised to us? Well, I would submit to you that we do one of two things. We either wait passively or we wait actively. We either wait constructively or we wait destructively. The question is, do we wait well? See, Bobby and I have discussed on occasions before how we both married up. We married beyond our station. Isn't that right, Bobby? Yes, it is. Chris is shaking her head. Yes, he did. (laughs) See, I remember before Angela and I were married... When I realized what an amazing, beautiful, godly woman she was, when I realized that God had put her in my life to be my wife for life, I remember that she had not come to the same realization just yet about what a great catch I was. (laughs) She had not come to the same realization just yet about me, and so I was in a place, putting you on the spot here this morning, aren't you? And so I was in a place where I knew the promise that God had for me, but I had to wait for his perfect timing and for Angela to come to the same conclusion that I had, come to the same place in our relationship, to realize what a great catch was I. What? I am a great catch, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There we go. I must admit that it was, it was a wonderful time and it was also a difficult time. Because there were times when I was at peace with the expectation of the fulfillment of the promise. And then there were times when I just did not wait well. 
And I have to tell you that the times that I focused on the beauty of the promise itself and not the when it would come to pass. The times when I kept my eyes on Jesus and stayed focused on the hope that I have in Him. The times where I stayed close to God through prayer. Those are the times when I could see God at work in my life and in Angela's life and in our life together. Those are the times when joy and peace really shone through. Those are the times when Angela and I became closer and our relationship became deeper and more centered around Jesus Christ, which, after all is said and done, really is the only basis for true love and for marriage. What's my point in sharing that little bit of personal experience? Well, it's about waiting well. Because typically we don't wait well. Our tendency as humans is not to wait well. We want things right now. We want instant satisfaction, instant gratification. Waiting well is waiting actively. Actively praying, actively seeking and discerning God's will and His timing, actively being present in the relationship now and not worrying about tomorrow. See, waiting well is waiting constructively. It's doing things that are positive and purposeful for the advancement of the kingdom and for the building up of our relationships, one to another and also one to one with Christ. And so the disciples here in this chapter of Acts are in the upper room and they have decided, they have made a decision to wait well. It says in Scripture, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. And they were in constant prayer as they waited for the Holy Spirit promise to come. Not only that, but they were obedient to the scriptures and to the prophecy. And they dedicated themselves to the mission ahead by choosing a replacement for Judas. See, now there were only 11. There were supposed to be 12. And so, Scripture says, they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and also Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was added to the eleven apostles. Now why is this important in this account? What difference does it make really to the church? especially the modern-day church, that there were 12 apostles instead of 11. 
Well, it's about waiting well for the promise. It's about fulfilling the scriptures and the prophecy. It's about waiting actively in prayer. Waiting constructively. Doing what they knew from Scripture to be right. Doing what they knew to be good for the mission and ministry of the church that lie ahead. And so finally, 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father, all that waiting well paid off. And it paid off in a big way. As we see in Acts, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. All the waiting well paid off with the coming of the promise just as Jesus had spoken it to them. Waiting well paid off with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them and they were literally set ablaze with Holy Spirit fire. So while the disciples were catching fire, the rest of Jerusalem heard this rushing wind and this speaking in tongues, and crowds began to gather around where the upper room was situated. Jews from every nation under heaven had gathered in Jerusalem for the feast of the Pentecost. And they were amazed and astonished because they heard these disciples, these Galileans, speaking in their own native language. Scripture says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. Let me ask you, what is society's reaction when the Holy Spirit shows up and something supernatural happens? What is the reaction of the culture today when miracles occur? What is the common cultural response prevalent in the world today when God moves as only God can? Well, it's the same today as it was back then, isn't it? The naysayers try to explain it away, and they mock it, and they reject it. As Scripture says, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Things haven't changed. So so it is here with the people in Jerusalem as they accuse the disciples of being drunk. And so Peter... Peter's not going to just sit there and take that accusation sitting down. After all, he's just been emboldened and empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And so he rises up with this newfound Holy Spirit power and he begins to preach. 
And he raises his voice and he says, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel said, in the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Every person will be affected by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are bold words echoed supernaturally through all of Jerusalem. So we've waited well. We've received the promise. What happens next? When you wait well, you wait actively, you wait constructively, and you receive the promise, what happens next? When God moves and does what He said He would do, and He's always faithful, what is our response? Well, I can tell you that we don't always respond as we should, do we? But our proper response is that when God moves, we move also. Our response to the fulfillment of the promise, our response to the coming of the Spirit, is that we begin to move with the power and the flow of the Holy Spirit. We don't just sit there when we catch fire. I don't know anyone who catches fire and just sits there. We don't just sit there when we catch the fire of the Holy Spirit. No, we move and we act and we get up and get moving. Like Peter, we carry on with the mission and ministry that Jesus left us to do. Because when we catch fire, we're supposed to spread the fire. We set the world ablaze for Christ because that's what we have been commanded to do. We set the world on fire for Christ because we have been sent to do just that. We spread the fire by lighting the fire of the gospel in every dormant heart. You'll recall from last week that I said Jesus ascended so that the Holy Spirit could come. 
And the Holy Spirit came so that we might have the power to set hearts to burning for Christ. The Holy Spirit dwelling in and on us makes each one of us a fire starter. Are you a fire starter today? Are you spreading the fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the flame of hope is kindled in every human heart, in every tribe, every nation, starting right here in this community? Why is that important? Well, it's important because, just as Peter said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, people need to know so that they can call upon His name. People need to hear the gospel so they can respond to the gospel and be saved. And as ministers of the faith, that's who you are, it's your calling to carry the gospel to the people. It's not just the pastor's calling. My job is to equip the saints, the ministers of the faith, To go spread the gospel. That means I'm responsible for telling you that it's your job to spread the gospel. Because it's your mandate in the great commission given to us in Matthew by Jesus himself. It is your mandate to spread this Holy Spirit fire. You are a fire starter. You are the bearer of the flame. Now, if you recall the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, he said, The same Lord is Lord of all and generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We've waited well. I think we wait actively. I think we wait constructively. The promise has come and now it's time for us to be fire starters in this community. We can't sit here in the country club and expect people to come to us. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom. We have to be out there living and working in the community to spark the flame in each and every heart so that those people understand that the only thing that can fill the void in their hearts is something that you have which is the Holy Spirit fire because you said yes at some point in your life to Jesus. 
How are they to know that unless we tell them? As I look around, we have plenty of room for more folks. There's no reason why we can't fill these seats if filling these seats is not the primary objective. Does that make sense? Filling these seats is not the primary objective. The primary objective is spreading the gospel so that people have an opportunity for the relationship with Jesus Christ that you have. And then a natural extension of that, the natural byproduct of that, is they have a hunger for more. They want to learn more. They want to be in fellowship with like-minded people that have a relationship with Jesus. And so then they come to be a part of the body of Christ, the church. So we have to start the fire in the community. Be a fire starter this week. Tell someone about Jesus. Ignite in them that small flame that grows into a blaze by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not responsible for the blaze. You just need to ignite the flame. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.